Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on August the 23rd, 2011. For newcomers, you should look out uh, the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's hundreds of audios for free download where hopefully some of you will be able to tie things together to see the big picture of this one system that runs the whole world. It's very visible today, called globalism, different names for the same thing. But I show you how it really started up, give you a bit of its history too, and many of the big players down through the last couple of hundred years actually who've helped and worked their whole lives towards this goal, benefited awfully well from it too, mind you. They don't do it for free. And where it's all supposed to go, the kind of society they want to bring in globally once they've slaughtered everybody else who resists them. And that's really what it's all about. It's slaughtering, isn't it? And then the plundering of the world's resources. The same stuff that came out from the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs a long time ago, or the Council on Foreign Relations in America. So it's the same agenda that's going on, and it explains why things are happening, for those who don't know, and uh, tells you where it's going. Remember, too, you're the audience to bring me to you. You can help me keep going by, hopefully, and at least uh, buying or donating to me. You can find how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still order uh, books and discs with a personal check or international postal money order from the post office or you can send cash, or you can use PayPal to order. You'll see the, the donation button on the com site, use that, and follow it up with an email with name, address, and order. And I'll get it out to you. Straight donations, believe you me, are certainly welcome. I thought the mail was still on strike because there's so few, so few letters coming in here. So we'll see how it goes. Otherwise, I'll be off to do other things. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, PayPal to order or donate. It's up to you. But I try and basically chronicle the things, the events of the world as we're going through the big system. At one time not long ago, you know, it was all local news you got or national news. If you notice today, it's frustrating news from all over the world. You get frustrated because there's nothing you can do about it because decisions are made way out of your reach. And uh, it shows you the kind of system we're already in, where alliances and treaties are made and decisions to bomb countries are made in other countries, and, and we've got nothing to do with it. Really. It's meant to frustrate you, really. And most folk don't mind because they are Orwell's proles, as you call them. The proles don't count. That's the, the, the silent majority. They're quite happy with their indoctrination and with their lifestyle and with their fun at home. And they don't want to be bothered with this. And partly, too, is because their indoctrination has taken so well on them. They don't realize that. They're indoctrinated, and they love their entertainment. So it's only the, the activists generally that can get a voice out there. And even then, you've got to be so careful because you'll find with all opposing groups to whatever they're opposing, that they're, they're somehow connected somewhere if you really do your homework. It's hard to find out what's genuine, what isn't genuine, or what real goals the opposing groups have as well. It's just astonishing. I get this every day when I look into things. 
So I always tell people, try and hang on to your own individuality and your sanity as you go through the major changes in the world, uh, because I knew this was coming long before 9-11 happened, and the night of 9-11 I mentioned it, that the hardest thing to hold on to will be your sanity as we go through massive changes and at a breakneck speed, which will speed up as time goes on, and it's called the condition of flux. That's where we're in now, flux. Where all morality, all that used to be, is swept away to bring in the new. And that's what the occultists have said for years. Occultists being the British secret groups, basically. They help plan the world. And clubs that they formed that sound often as though they're, they belong to government, but most of them are actually independent of government, they're private. So we'll, talk, we'll touch on some of these things tonight when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and long before they gave us the computer, they talked about uh, leading up to giving us this this new method of communication, which they would never name at the time, but they kept talking about information wars and how they were already getting ready for them before the public got them, which meant a lot of money uh, would be going from governments and special agencies into setting up a lot of sites out there once they gave you the internet that uh, would lead you around in circles and, and, and other things too. Mix your mind up and and you, you'll be on track with something and then they, they throw you off the track and that's really what to do. So in other words, they weren't giving you the internet so that you could just intelligently go through like a university course and say, okay, I know all I need to know about this particular subject now. No, it was meant to lead you for political purposes and not just for the public. As we know, a lot of sites have already been pulled across the world because we're politically incorrect. They didn't go along with the status quo. They didn't join the sides, opposing sides or whatever, that they were supposed to join, because that's really what they give you. You want this or that, just like politics. You want left-wing, right-wing. And even today, with political sites, uh, you'll find, do you really want to live under a totalitarian fascist regime, or do you want to live under a communist regime? I mean, they still give you the same stuff, and you'll find most of the opposing ones are still Marxist in nature. And personally, I don't want to live under either. That's just not the way I think. I really don't fancy working for the state and being told by the state how to be and how to think and, and all that kind of stuff. And fascism and communism basically are, are, end up on the same path. So I don't want that for myself. But you'll find that for a lot of the people that you'll follow, they're actually Marxist still. They still have this vision of a utopia where everyone works for the greater good, as you say, and serves the world state. And it's all peaches and cream, except that some are more equal than others in such utopias, according to George Orwell, and he was spot on with that. Human nature, unfortunately, I think, has always been dominated by people who rise to the top called psychopaths. And I've talked about this over the years. I've read different articles about psychopathy. I've explained about psychopathy, and then a book came out. It was called Political Ponderology, very good insight into the the political psychopaths that all countries seem to get. And I think it's always been this way. I really do. I think it's always been the the psychopaths who seek power. They have a hunger for it and incredible wealth too. It's an exaggerated need and they climb to the top by any means possible. They're very 
uh, ruthless in getting to the top. So anyway, after we get plundered again by the same bankers who got to the top, of course, uh, we, we find that, that uh, a, a survey was done in New Zealand on psychopathy. And it says commerce students return significantly higher primary psychopathy scores than science or arts majors. And it says psychopaths prefer commerce degrees. That's a finding of a world first study examining university students' personalities and course preferences. Uh, Victoria University students with higher scores for psychopathy traits tend to opt to study commerce with law next most popular. Explains a lot, doesn't it? The study of 903 undergraduates found that significantly fewer, fewer with high psychopathy scores chose science and fewer still went for arts. The paper, Greed is Good, that's what they called the, the survey, uh, Student Disciplinary Choice and Self-Reported Psychopathy, published this month in the International Journal of Personality and Individual Differences, was sparked by fallout of the world financial crisis. Plunders, we should recall what it is, it was plunder, it was crooks that run the system and they plundered us. The role of high-profile financiers in the global recession made the idea of the psychopath in organizations increasingly relevant, said Victoria University Associate Professor of Psychology Mark Wilson, who conducted the research with colleague Karina McCarthy. The final crisis prompted questions about what constitutes success, says Professor Wilson, as the likes of former Lehman Brothers, boss Dick Fould and Bernie Madoff, uh, the investment advisor who ran was being described as the biggest Ponzi scheme in history, shifted from aspirational hero to pariah and in some cases convict. While research has been done into psychopathy in the workplace, there was a gap regarding student degree choices. Students did surveys designed to measure their psychopathic traits. Distinctions were most apparent for what were referred to as primary psychopathy characterized by the statement, for me, what is right is what I can get away with. The study found males scored higher for psychopathy regardless of degree, but male and female commerce students returned significantly higher primary psychopathy scores than science or arts majors. Professor Wilson notes that commerce students did not stand out for secondary psychopathy, which measures, measures disorganized lifestyle and therefore fall into the group sometimes referred to as the successful psychopaths. Those who end up in prison tended to rate highly in both psychopathy measures, combining coldness and impulsiveness as a low-level type, the ones uh, who are recidivists for, for prisons. They, they, if they see the jewelry in the window, they just smash it on the spot and they keep repeating the same behavior. Uh, the better ones are uh, use uh, the law and they use the legal system and generally they dominate the legal system and they dominate the, the money system. Psychopaths are not all serial killers, although probably all serial killers are psychopaths. Uh, as nurture as well as nature influences psychopathic tendencies, Dr. Wilson says, commerce is like, more likely than other areas to endorse and so enhance psychopathic traits. Enron, where ruthless and unethical behavior aimed at improving the company's bottom line, was rewarded with bonuses, was often cited as a case study. Professor Wilson believes we need to be alert to psychopathic behavior for reasons beyond the financial impact when organizations such as Enron and Lehman Brothers crash. I would say all of them, actually, but they're still plundering us, yeah. A true corporate psychopath is, is actually it uses the word, it's an a-hole. One of the reasons they get out ahead is that they work in the context where personally getting ahead helps the company and so they're awarded for doing so. But they're also more likely to stab people in the back to get promoted. Some companies, says Professor Wilson, promote themselves as ethical. Google's slogan for a time was don't be evil. 
So they always pretend that they're very ethical. It's like when they have a big, like Walmart is part of your community. <laughs> That's where they're here, right? That's the context one would hope that the corporate psychopath wouldn't be able to do well. And But unfortunately, over the last decade or so, there's been this confluence of factors where some people find themselves making pots of cash at the expense of other people. And it's worked fine un- up until the whole thing went belly up. Most of them go belly up with their greed. But they also know that the public's going to bail them out because their pals, who are also in politics, will make sure that happens. That's an area they didn't re-examine here, was how many end up in politics. But when you see most of the politicians are lawyers, I guess maybe they do. So that's psychopathy, and I think it's a natural thing because most folk can't recognize them. Uh, most folk want to follow leaders, that's why they're supplied with them, and uh, they always end up the garden path. Uh, plunder, too. You can understand, too, looking at these characters from NATO, for instance, dressed in their camo gear, giving the same spiels as, as, as they did uh, with uh, the Gulf War One in the U.S., same thing. Same back, same background and so on. There's a guy with a camo, probably standing inside a hot office in some country in Holland, talking on behalf of NATO, saying that, uh, yeah, we haven't killed any civilians. And meanwhile, there's all these videos coming out where there's houses, after houses, even school houses, with, with little legs and fingers sticking out of them. Uh, these are the li- these are psychopaths that they get for public relations. They're they're absolute psychopaths. They have no emotional ties to anyone. They have no empathy for anyone, and they've lied all their lives. They're, they belong to the father of lies, as they say. That's all they know. But they get rewarded for doing so. And, and their press does the same thing, because it's not our press. I shouldn't say our press. The press is also owned by the same banking boys as well. But that's the world that we live in, and, and people unfortunately follow the leaders. And even in the book uh, Political Ponerology, they also said that the psychopath in any era and any situation will smell the wind, the political wind, or the mood of the public, and um, they'll join whatever side they see is going to become dominant, and they'll, they'll get in in a higher position and, and work their way to the top. And that's why you end up with, with catastrophes uh, often, since they supply you with leaders. They're awfully good at that. Done it for an awful long time. And nothing gets better for the public, does it? Even when the when, when you vote presidents or prime ministers in and out, the same agenda goes on because of signed treaties galore that that one person, even if they were honest, couldn't go through them all. They'd only go through a tiny, tiny fraction of all the treaties that have been signed with the United Nations and other groups. And um, so it must go ahead until they're destroyed. No one destroys these treaties, you notice. They just stay there. That's one of the first things I clued in when I was young. I said, well, if this next party really is hell-bent to oppose the other party, why don't they just tear up all the laws that the last bunch put in? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. That should be a clue to everyone. Jefferson said it too. When you see the, the House changing, that's parties changing, but the same agenda's continuing, you know that then that you're under tyranny, and, and but no one listens to you. And it's interesting too, someone sent me a link to some of the quotes from uh, Carol Quigley, Professor Carol Quigley, who was a, a really a big shot at the State Department and other places. He trained all your, your your top politicians, especially for the for the State Departments and so on. But he says the argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, or, or one perhaps of the right, another of the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to doctrinaire and academic thinkers. 
It says, instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw the rascals out. That's why you vote the next bunch in. Oh, we're so sick of the last lot. That's what democracy is to, to the general public. At any election, without leading to any profound or existing shifts in policy. So the same policies continued. That's from Tragedy and Hope, 1966. And then it says, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim. He's talking about the club that started this whole global agenda off a long time ago. The powers of financial capitalism. Now, who are the powers of financial capitalism? Right? It says, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the, econo- the economy of the world as a whole. This system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion, by the central banks of the world acting in concert. And that's what they've got across the world, central banks. Even when they bomb the Arab countries, they put a central bank that's linked to the IMF for, for loans. By secret agreements arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences. And then he goes on about how he learned this because he, he worked for them and had access to the archives. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, just touching on Carol Quigley. And remember too, I'll put links up at the end of the broadcast to all these topics I'm mentioning tonight. And Professor Quigley, as I say, was uh, he was actually a historian for the Council of Foreign Relations, which is the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which again are private organizations. And private organizations run the world not the governments. They put their own people into politics too. He mentions in his book, uh, The Anglo-American Establishment, for instance, that uh, the US and Britain hadn't uh, had a member in since the late 1800s. There wasn't a member of this organization, even when it had different names. Uh, but he says here, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reached aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. Well, that's already been done. This system was to be controlled in a feudalistic fashion by the central banks of the world, acting in concert by secret agreement at the, first, at the, at the frequent private meetings and conferences. And that was page 324 of Tragedy and Hope. And then he goes on to say this, and this is, the, is often quoted by our people who haven't read the whole book, but it says, There does exist and has existed for a generation, this was written in the 60s, an international Anglophile, meaning they were based in London, that's really what it was, which operates to some extent in the way the radical right believes the Communist Act, in fact this network which we may identify as around table groups, has no aversion to cooperating with communists or any other groups, and frequently does so. Actually, as I'm saying, all the opposing groups belong to the same organization. I know of the operations of this network, he says, because I've studied it for 20 years and was permitted for two years in the early 60s to examine its papers and secret records. I have no aversion to it or most of its instruments. I've objected both in the past and uh, and recently to a few of its policies, but in general my chief difference of opinion is that it wishes to remain unknown, and I believe its role in history is significant enough to be known. It really has been. It's been running the world for a couple of hundred years, at least. It really has. All the wars and everything. He mentions that in Anglo-American establishment as well. So I'll put that link up too, and you can have a look through this particular site, which is called Our Republic, and um, you can go through some more of it for yourselves. 
part of the idea of this world they're bringing in too is through government legislation, private companies, again, this feudal system, you see, uh, end up getting the land or even the ocean at times, the sea coast definitely, because under the Agenda 21, the, the, if you read through the whole lot of it, they want to remove people from the coastal areas. And they've been doing it in, in some countries. Uh, Canada was one of the first ones to kill off the fishing industry by banning fishermen in the east coast of Canada to fish. And, of course, that they move, and so there were nice beaches left. But you can't go on at some of them because they, they belong uh, to basically, they're kind of like UN biospheres. And I'll explain some of this tonight because they're doing it now to Australia. They're really hammering Australia, aren't they? So there's no fish zones to sink house prices. It says uh, the zones are being proposed under the Marine Parks Conservation Plan. Uh, where did this come from? Well, it came actually from the 1992 uh, World Earth Summit, again by private groups funded by the foundations. Actually, the foundations drafted up the whole treaty that all the countries signed into. That's democracy at work for you. Eh? The public haven't a clue about it, even haven't even heard about it, and weren't consulted about it. So private organizations do all for you and hand it to the government that signs it into law. And then you find out you can't walk here and you can't go there. Anyway, it says that the value of thousands of holiday shacks, rental properties and homes in or near the planned 140 no-go zones across South Australia will fall by 25% on average. State Member of Parliament and former valuer General John Darley has warned. Uh, fishing is a big attraction at many coastal towns across the state. And if you take that away, uh, then demand and prices will fall, Mr Darley said. And a lot of shacks have been built in areas that they wouldn't have if it weren't for the fishing, so their value will fall even further. He said the introduction next year of the zones would have a similar impact on the coastal real estate market as a recent drought had on property prices in Goolwa. And uh, But that's, this is all Agenda 21, if you don't know it. Now, tonight I'll put up a link in a PDF to uh, the treaties that the Australia signed, the rest of the world has signed too, but Australia signed them, and it's got all the dates for different implementations of different parts to come into play. And, of course, remember, too, this is part one. Part two comes out next year at the, new, at the second air summit, which is going to be a big, green, happy conference. It's all decided in advance, much like the, the, the stuff on climate change. They go there for a big hurrah and slap each other on the backs for getting all this stuff done. So, anyway... The big boys will be there, your politicians will be there, you sign it into law, and then you get the next part of it coming up. So that's how it really works. We're just living through a script, you understand. And an article here too, it says a new EPA rule could lead to rolling blackouts in Texas. The PUC chairwoman says, head of Texas Public Utility Commission expressed concern Friday that a new federal air quality rule set to take effect on January the 1st will cause disruptions in electric service. Everybody's coming down. See, energy is going to go through the roof, and that's the, that's the new gold, you see. And uh, they can give you less of it, make you, and pay, you have to pay maybe 10, 20 times as much for that, for that little bit you're going to be left with. That's, so they're not going to lose money as they cut back, giving you less electricity. That's, it's already happening in Canada. So I'll put this article up tonight as well. And... Uh, <laughs> It's just amazing, as I say, as, as I get so sick of watching the agenda go on because you know what they're going to do. As I say, the New American Century crew um, published on their own websites for years uh, that they want to take out Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Syria, Iran, etc., uh, all lined up. And here they're doing it. And you think you're not living through a script. And I'll touch on that when I come back from this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And talking about the U.S., you get so sick of these wars, don't you? Because you know they're all coming. They're all uh, written down in order. And here we are living through what they printed out in the 90s, the 1990s, living through it. And, of course, we get all the public relations propaganda and all different sides of the whole darn thing. But the fact is we know the color, color revolutions were all sponsored from the West. You've got your own tax money went into it, too. And then the big boys like Soros behind it and the Rockefellers and so on. And then trained these guys to go into these countries over the years and prepare it, prepare it. It's like a field, you see. You prepare the field before you, before you plant. And, uh, and they get everyone set up to rebel. And then they send, send in professional mercenaries and get it going. And then they call them rebels, you see. And it's, it's just a con. And seeing is believing. It's like Wag the Dog, the movie. Uh, it's, it's on TV. It must be true, see? And But you get so sick of this. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's the big agenda. And um, so far, even when they tell you figures like this, like $896 million, it says, that the U.S. military intervention in Libya has cost to date. I think it's a lot more than that because it's all NATO planes that were bombing Tripoli all last night. And uh, the U.S. is heavily involved in that, plus supplying arms and men, too. So it's not rebels at all. And they're all pally now with al-Qaeda, just like Orwell talked about who we're fighting today, East Asia, West, West Asia. They keep changing alliances, you see, for the public's view, that is. And uh, and here they are chewing on al-Qaeda uh, that they're paying to, to basically overthrow Libya. <laughs> that is quite something, eh? Quite something. And we're supposed to swallow this stuff. Most folk do. They're, they'll, they'll munch their chips and then wait to see their favorite program coming on television. Anyway, it says it's cost $896 million so far. It's a lot more than that. It's in the billions, obviously. And it says that the cost of the U.S. military intervention in Libya has cost American taxpayers an estimated $896 million through July 31st, the Pentagon said today. Price tag includes amounts for daily military operations, munitions used in the operation, and humanitarian assistance for the Libyan people. The humanitarian assistance, I think, is cluster bombs. The U.S. also promised $25 million in non-lethal aid to the Libyan Transitional National Council, that's their public government, half of which the Defense Department is already on MRE's military lingo for meals ready to eat. And the military delivered 120,000 halal MREs to Benghazi in May, a second shipment that included medical supplies, boots, tents, uniforms, and personal protective gear in June. But they also applied the, the, the craft, too, to, to bring in the mercenaries overnight into Tripoli. Well, anyway, it'll, it'll be in the billions, and nobody really cares back home because they don't see it so fast on their dollar, which is already plummeting. And everybody gets used, you understand, in this big global agenda. And some countries are used more than others. And here's an article, too. Although it's supposedly broke, and to go further, with rolling blackouts and cutting back on welfare, uh, as far as it goes with with weaponry, it's just gung-ho, isn't it? There's never enough of it. New weaponry. It says, The new type of explosive material tested on Friday mixes metals and polymers, oxidizers, to create a, a chemical explosion on impact, and it's as strong as aluminum and as dense as steel, but it's less likely to kill innocent bystanders. This is their first statement, right? The state-run BBC quoted U.S. Navy scientists as saying, 
high-density reactive materials combine and explode only when the projectile hits the target and are very durable, significantly enhancing the explosive effect, which increases the chances of a catastrophic kill. That sounds pretty lethal to me, catastrophic kill, according to the military scientists. Clifford Bedford, a researcher involved in development of the new material, said, in the case of a steel missile, you explosively launch it. It goes through the target and all kinetic energy is dissipated into the target. With the reactive material missile, you have the same explosive launch. However, it disintegrates within the target and liberates chemical energy. And this chemical and kinetic energy combines and gives you the enhanced effect. He added, an enhanced effect, you know, talking about photography or something, eh? This is like blowing folk up. Anyway, you get psychopaths in that area, too, of science. There's quite a lot of them in science. Well paid, but always well funded and well paid. A couple of articles, too. It says, one is U.S. deeply troubled by Israeli settlement plans. And then another one is to do with um, the fact that uh, U.S. aid will still go to Israel regardless of the slump in the American dollar. So uh, everything is predictable, as I say, in this world that you live in. But uh, an article here, too, is for Europeans in this big new Soviet Union they've got. Again, the, the guys who dreamed up the cabals of bankers quickly mentions them who dreamed up uh, uh, taking over the world by the banking, central banks, in a feudalistic fashion. Also men, men mentioned the fact that, uh, just like Marx, they wanted a, a unified Europe run by the same organization. And I'll put up a site tonight. It's called EU Facts, the information and documents that mark the beginning of the end for the Brussels European Union experiment. It's not too bad. It's got a lot of links on it on things, all the dirty tricks have been played on the Europeans too, to get them into it. Now they're, we've watched them being plundered by the same central banks that Quigley talked about as they pass money and borrow money from the IMF to give to other countries to bail them out. It's just astonishing, isn't it? We, we call this the, the pinnacle of the best minds. They can't figure anything better than to, than to try to plug a hole by making all the countries borrow to throw in the countries that are sinking. It's just incredible. That we, we actually we actually accept this guff, this guff, as it's called, guff. Yep. And everyone knows too that uh, there was a, an earthquake in, towards New York, all the way to Chicago, I think, the area uh, today. Um, and it said here that buildings that were emptied as earthquake hits New York and other coastal cities. Uh, this is a 5.9 magnitude earthquake center around 35 miles north of Richmond, Virginia. Sent tremors all along the east coast Tuesday afternoon with rumbles felt in New York City, Washington, D.C. and North Carolina. And as far north as Rhode Island and Boston, the National Weather Service told AM New York. It says um, the Twitterverse exploded with reports of shaking felt all over the city and greater New York area, with some Manhattan buildings being evacuated and people on the street reportedly frightened. Anyway, it's happening across the world. Every so often in the cycles, you go through these earthquake periods. People think we go through the ground the sun in the same, like a bicycle wheel, you know, spinning beautifully on this this axis. But it doesn't, you know, it's, we go through, it's mainly oblong. And even then, it's never really the same distance from the sun from one year to the next. So every so often, in the great scheme of things, as it goes through these great cycles, you get more earthquakes, and we're in the earthquake period now. Some countries have that listed in their histories, other ones don't, because they're not old enough. And this article here is quite interesting, because if you, whether whether it's it's like magic, you know, stage magic, it's the art of misdirection, as you're watching one hand, the other hand's doing the real work. 
But you have to really watch across the world the little bits of news that came out while they're bombing people and showing their lovely new jets and stuff. And, and that's what they do, don't they? They, they try to be all absorbed. And, wow, look at that jet coming down. Boom, up they go. And they'll tell you that, oh, that was bad guys in there. And then they tell you later it was a school. But it doesn't matter. We get caught up in this because we're easily manipulated, you see. We understood perfectly well. And it says here that... Uh, this is Israel. There's a, a visit here by a top defense official spell a shift in China's position. I've told you that China was to take over from the U.S. as the U.S. went under. That, that was stated back in the, the 40s, 1940s, uh, by the heads of, of Oxford University at the time. And he was a member of the big club, too, that quickly talked about. But he said America would take over from Britain. Of course, it had already done so by, by World War II and be the policeman of the world. But after that, it drives China up to such a power, then China would take over. So here it is. Uh, now China's sending uh, high military guys over to, to, to Israel, in fact, to the Middle East. Following Israel's media these days, everything looks like business as usual, strike scandals, and another public commission, another damning report by state controller CP once again, sniping at BB, another day of Arab soldiers slaughtering Arabs. That's, as far, that's what they mean by Libya right now. <laughs> the complete disgust of all Arabs. Anyway, nothing new it says. But there's one item that overshadows all others, though few Israelis seem to have paid any attention to it. This week was the first ever visit by a Chinese chief of staff, General Chen Bingde, strange name for a Chinaman, to Israel. The visit signals warming bilateral ties, writes the official China Daily somewhat innocuously. In fact, it signals much more. For years, this rising superpower has been entering the Middle East as quietly as possible, strengthening its economic, political and military presence, while declining Europe has struggled to maintain its presence. There have been several recent signs, some of them public, that China may be planning to become more assertive and even-handed in its treatment of the reason, the region. By the way, the CFR and the rest of them have been pretty well pushing China to get involved in the, the, the global policing. China might be moving away from some of its traditional support for Arab positions. There's little doubt that Chen's visit, his itinerary, itinerary work, did not include other regional countries like Ukraine, just Ukraine and Russia, was followed closely and was suspicioned by Ankara, Cairo, Tehran, as well as Ramallah. Because they know, they know what the, the agenda is. Sino-Jewish and Sino-Israeli relations have a long and unbalanced, uh, a very long positive history. In January 1950, Israel became the first country in the region to recognize the People's Republic of China. In November 1973, Zedong remarked to Henry Kissinger that he had nothing against the Jews. On the contrary, a remarkable statement at a time when anti-Semitic campaigns were reaching a new high in the Soviet bloc. After China and Israel established diplomatic relations in 1992, Bilateral relations and multi-high-level visits developed at a brisk pace, including ties in the defense sector. These relations came to a a propitious halt in 2000 when massive American pressure forced Israel to cancel a contract to sell China an Israeli-developed airborne early warning system, the, the the Falcon. In 2004, a similar incident occurred regarding Israeli-made aerial drones sold to China. This time, the U.S. accompanied its pressure with temporary sanctions. Israel had little choice. Its friendship with the U.S. is still indispensable. China's visit comes at a time when Israel is increasingly concerned by multiple efforts to isolate and delegitimize it. His visit sends a signal China doesn't share those sentiments. It's important that this opportunity to restore trust 
and the bilateral relationship would not be missed. Indeed, improved Israeli-China ties could have a positive effect not only on Israel, but on the whole region. It could signal the Iranians and their Arab followers, Hamas and Hezbollah, Hezbollah, that notwithstanding the help that some of them may have received from China in the past, China has no time and no sympathy for wild, genocidal ranting. China's rapid ascendance and its interest in maintaining regional stability in the Middle East means China may be more ready to play a role, play a role in regional affairs and in the Middle East peace process. That said, when China makes policies, uh, changes in important areas, there's never one sole reason. It's virtually certain that China is troubled by the spreading unrest in the Arab world. But it's only unresting because the West is funding it to be so. That's why the unrest is there. But it actually ties in it, with they say in this article, with a book by uh, Kissinger, a new book, where he's telling uh, America to be more tolerant as China rises militarily as well, because he knows as well the whole idea, because he was in the meetings many, many moons ago, that, that China would take over from the, the, the U.S. when the U.S. became bankrupt. And they literally said that in their own writings by the time the, the U.S. would become bankrupt. But... Um, it says here, in his recently published book on China, Hermann Kissinger continues its most important struggle to help avoid the clash between a traditional and rising great power, which has occurred so often in history. He suggests that Americans can and must cope with China's peaceful rise, but also ask the Chinese to become more involved in maintaining peace and stability on a global level. That's policing the world, folks, if you don't understand the lingo. Have the Chinese already listened to him in the Middle East? Has the United States, it says here. So interesting little article to see that the, the China is already eyeing its role and no doubt they will have a big uh, part to play in the policing to come. There's no doubt about it. The, the CFR has been goading them for years to get involved and, um, and I guess it's getting towards the time that will happen. Now, uh, there's some callers here and there's Jamel from Georgia on the line. Are you there, Jamel? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to ask. Uh, I um, I was listening to you the other day, and you were talking about um, that documentary, the uh, the Soviet story. So I yeah. went ahead and I checked it out. Um, I was amazed. I, I I didn't know any of that. I doubt that many people do know um, that many facts about that story. Yeah. Um, how um. Especially like like things like how uh, race for, uh, race warfare was bad, and uh, how it was really all about class warfare, and how they can employ frontmen, you know, from every race and, and income level, and uh, culture codes to speak for everyone, you know. So I mean, you could just bypass, you know, messiah figures and, and anybody who's going to stand up for anyone, yes, you know, altogether. Yeah. You know, so I, I thought that was real interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's never, they've never changed their policy for these particular types uh, of revolutions, as you call them. They always slaughter the intelligentsia, then they slaughter those who want to hang on to their little farms, and then they end up getting Western aid because they can't, uh, they've, they've killed all the farmers off. Uh, yeah, so everybody's got to die. Everybody's going to die. And then, then they had, uh, when they took over other countries, they did the same thing. They starved them to death in some countries millions of people, 
and yet no one can really say much about the Soviet uh, era, you know, compared to Hitler. You hear Hitler, Hitler, Hitler all the time, but you never hear much about the slaughters, like the Ukraine famine that was caused by Stalin. They sold all their grain off to abroad and let people starve. And I should put up a, a whole list of um, documentaries to watch as they went through all these countries doing the same technique, these wonderful communists that want to bring in the greater society for the greater good, you know. You know. But true, sad yeah. but true. But um, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I just wanted to get that out to uh, people who who uh, haven't seen that. So uh, yeah, and and like you say, I mean, you, you say it often. I'm a I'm a long time listener. You know, I'm, I support you when I can. Yeah. But like you say, it's it's a horror show. It's a Absolutely. horror show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even their technique. That Hitler actually uh, sent his men to the Soviet Union when they were pally because they had the Hitler-Stalin pact at one point, and uh, he, he went to find out how to kill off mass millions of people and, and do it efficiently, because the, the Soviets have been doing it since 1917, and uh, that's where they learned a lot of their techniques for, for, for mass genocide. Yeah. Yeah. Always go to the masters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no doubt. Well, uh, well, you take care then. And you too. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I should really put up a list uh, because there's some incredible documentaries come out since. It's just something else. It's an utter horror story, and this is called A Walk Towards Civilization. I I tell you, I shake my head and look for another planet. And there's there's Mike from Texas there. Is Mike there? Hey, how are you, sir? Not too bad at all. Yeah, I wrote recently, and um, I'm the fella in uh, Texas that's in that executive MBA program. And uh, I wrote you a pretty long uh, email, but uh, I understand you get probably millions of emails. But one of the funny things about it, in this 24-month program, they've got one day on ethics. <laughs> one day, yeah. <laughs> one day. Well, the ethic is don't get caught, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess it's part of the, you know, the rules. You have to at least cover it a little bit. But there was a... Uh, one article that we had to read and write a paper about it was how Google went to China. The director of the program is a, is a gentleman from China, and he says, well, you know, the theme I want you to get from this is that Google knew what they were getting into when they went to China, so yeah. they can't complain about the rules. And oh, I was just hysterical laughing, and I said, well, don't you think Google and Schmidt, the head there, don't you think they're helping to make some of the rules in China? And uh, he's the guy just looked at me like I had two heads. Yeah, but, but not only that, they're actually working on the rules for us by, by using China's a test bed. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we'll see if we can get... Is Ryan from Ottawa there? Yeah, Hello? Yeah, Hello? Uh, with Go all ahead. this sadisticness uh, in society, it's just kind of weird that uh, you have those two situations uh, of, you know, in 1984 where Winston's being tortured and he starts to have that some kind of relationship with his torturer, and, yeah. and you, I compare that to uh, a situation you you bring up every once in a while, and I just remember it, and uh, but people project themselves onto their, uh, their uh, onto the executioner guy. Yes, that's right. Uh, what's going on, man? Say to me, say to society of ours. You know, it's like. 
Well, you, you, they've had a lot of testing over many centuries with this technique, and now it's, now it comes under the cluster group of uh, the Stockholm syndrome, where if, if, you, if they come to rob a bank and you happen to be in the bank and they kidnap you, you start to feel an affiliation towards the, the crooks themselves or the terrorists, uh, and you start to, to sympathize with them, anything to live, basically. And um, and that's what happens too. When there was another movie put out too, uh, it was called Conspiracy Theory. And if you went to Conspiracy Theory, at one point the, the guy who was torturing uh, Mel Gibson uh, says to him, "This guy's in charge of MK Ultra." He says, "Have you ever been in a place where there's no hope? There's nothing but time." You know? and, and that's the state that they try they try and get you into. They make it quite evident that, and you find out that there's no hope. There's no way getting out of there. You're under their, 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 you're at their mercy. And that's the state they want to get you into, to your paralyzed. And you grovel. And you go through a whole sequence of events. You go down your knees, you'll shake and quiver. Children will do the same thing when their life's threatened. And you'll see that even in the old Vietnam documentaries where the peasants were going down their knees and they'll, they'll poop and pee themselves. The, the, the sympathetic nervous system gets knocked out. And, uh, and they shake and quiver. It's, it's a plea for, for mercy. It's, a, it's an ultimate last plea for mercy, basically. It's like uh, creating another alternative character. Like the people in North Korea, they're like, I don't know what they are now. Like, like robots. They're, they're still some kind of happy, but they're not, man. They're... Well, uh, Russell said that, you know, Bertrand Russell, he says, when the government has these techniques perfected of mass indoctrination by using the needle and the food supply and different things, by the way, to bring you down into stupidity, he said once this has been perfected, he said that um, the public will begin their opinions without any idea of how they arrive at the conclusions that they have in their heads. And that's already happened. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect indoctrination. We've been at, see, we've had war declared in us a long time ago, and the public were not informed. <laughs> Very tough. Well, thanks for taking my call, man. And thanks for calling. And uh, sad world, as I say, but all you can do is chronicle it because everybody's got interest in what's happening and you, you just don't know who's who anymore. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>